This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care here again at a, a different time, thanks to UNC football, but that's okay. We're going to help our Sunday audience. You know, we always help our Saturday audience with wonderful information related to caregiving. But uh, today, Mary, we're, we're doing it again for the Sunday crowd. I like it. I'll, I'll do anything for the heels. Go heels. <laughs> I'll make it work, whatever. <laughs> you know, you're, you're so amenable. Thank you so much. It's taking up my weekend pool time, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. You know, again, we just, we just shift a little bit. Time shift. It's okay. Uh, well, we've got a, a wonderful topic here uh, to start out the show, and this is something that I think a lot of people have uh, concerns and interest in, and that's diabetes. This week is going to be our focus on that, and we are very pleased to welcome on to the show, Missy Jernigan. She is a certified diabetes educator with the WakeMed Diabetes Management Program. Missy, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you, guys. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you for joining us, Missy. I think that this is um, sometimes can be a confusing topic, especially for the aging population. I think many people think about diabetes as a childhood disease or something you find very early in life. And um, I am starting to realize that maybe this isn't always true. Missy, can you talk to us? Is it is that really true? Can you develop diabetes later in life, or is this really something that's onset from childhood and maybe you find it later in life? Um, so maybe talk to us a little bit about that to kick us off. Sure. There are really about three main types of diabetes, and the one that you're talking about is type 1. It used to be called juvenile diabetes because it normally affects people before the age of 30, and usually, you know, we see it um, in adolescence, um, but that would be type 1. Type 2 is mostly seen in people above the age of 40, and type 2 is more than 95%, between 90 and 95% of all diabetes. Um, however, we have seen a, a big increase of the incidence of people in, um, who are much younger hmm. um, getting diabetes type 2. And then the third type that we normally see um, is diabetes in pregnancy, which sometimes is transient. It's only during pregnancy. So sometimes it can last after pregnancy, but usually once the baby's born, the diabetes dis uh, disappears. Wow. So is there anything that you can attribute to the increase that you all are seeing in the type 2 diabetes for these people over 40? Is there anything that's pointing to it? Is there research going on to, to kind of dive in there? What, what can you tell us about that? The type 2 in people over the age of 40? Mm -hmm. um, that is the majority of most diabetes. I guess m most people don't know that because juvenile diabetes tends to be... Um, advertised and talked mm -hmm. about, but the elderly population, <laughs> I dare say elderly over 40, but um, <laughs> people above 40, I know, uh, people above 40 tend to have a much higher incidence of diabetes than um, the juvenile population. 
Is there anything that is creating this greater risk to develop diabetes for the aging population or those over 40? Um, Are there any causes that increase that risk for developing diabetes later in life? Well, um, we tend to carry a few more pounds than um, previous generations. That's one thing. Um, The other thing is that we are living longer, so we have uh, an extended period of time to develop it. Um, Thirdly, I think some of the foods that we eat and the lack of activity that we do tend to uh, bring it on a little better, a little quicker. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the medications we take tend to... Uh, cause it even without any family history as well. Wow, that's interesting. So if you've, I know that they're out there, you you can be diagnosed with prediabetes. And that might be a term that when you're at your physician's office, it might come up and something to be worried about. What does prediabetes mean? And are there ways that you can combat that now to prevent it from becoming type 2 diabetes? That's a great question. Prediabetes is reversible, and it is the precursor to type 2, which is the older type of diabetes. Um, Some of the main things you can do uh, is get checked often, as often as your physician will say so. Usually over the age of 40 or 45, they start checking for that. But if they do tell you you have it, you want to concentrate on diet, exercise, and, of of course, close follow-up. It's good to know. Are there different screenings for people with diabetes, and how often do these screenings take take place, or how often should you be checking this once you've been diagnosed with diabetes? Once you've been diagnosed with diabetes, okay. Um, The A1C blood test is the most valuable one we use right now. Another good one is um, random blood sugars. So I'm going to talk about A1C first. An A1C test tells us your average blood sugar for the past three months. And um, once it gets to 6.5% or higher, you have screened positive for diabetes. Um, A blood sugar, a fasting blood sugar above 126, uh, repeatable several times, is diagnostic for type 2 diabetes as well. So what other complications that are related to diabetes are of concern in our older populations? Are there any comorbidities that would exacerbate diabetes or things that we should be concerned about? Absolutely. So we know that um, hypertension or high blood pressure uh, definitely in combination with diabetes tend to be um, a pretty serious thing. But some of the complications we're going to see for uncontrolled diabetes um, tend to be blindness, uh, amputations, heart disease, kidney failure leading to to dialysis, and even stroke. Yeah, that's some scary stuff. Missy, you know, for those who maybe aren't taking diabetes as, as seriously as they should, uh, I mean, you've gone over some complications there, but uh, on a daily basis, how does diabetes, having diabetes impact your life and what are, you know, how, how does, how does it, you know, uh, create a life for you that's uh, maybe not as convenient as it was pre-diabetes? Convenience is a good, good word to use. It's not as convenient as um, somebody who doesn't have diabetes. You do need to check your blood sugars 
as often as your physician asks. Uh, and the goal, of course, is to keep the blood sugars, blood sugars controlled because that's what leads to the complications. Um, we do now have something called a continuous glucose monitor that you can wear on your arm so that you do not have to poke your fingers three or four times a day. And it measures your blood sugar as often as every five minutes so that um, it can be reported on your smartphone or a pager-sized device called a reader and so that you can, at any minute during the day, um, see what your blood sugar is. Some of these CGMs, or continuous glucose monitors, um, also have alarms that will let you know if your blood sugar is going too high or going too low. And I will admit, I wore one for a while just to see what it was like so I could teach better about it, and it was absolutely life-changing. How would you recognize signs of someone with low blood glucose with uh, cognitive impairment or Alzheimer's that may have other cognitive issues or make it a little bit harder to catch? And that is exactly where I would use a, a CGM. Um, with Alzheimer's, you know, there's already the cognitive issues. So sometimes um, you may see um, a little more confusion different than what you normally see in an Alzheimer's patient. Uh, you may see tiredness, um, either low or high blood sugars. So I, if I had somebody that um, had Alzheimer's or another cognitive issue, I would love to get a prescription for a CGM so that the caretaker could know what was going on without having to guess. We are speaking with Missy Jernigan, and Missy is a certified diabetes educator with the WakeMed Diabetes Management Program, and we've got so many more questions related to diabetes for her, and we're looking forward to her expertise in that regard, and we hope you are too. So stick around. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you. It's a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care right here on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Our guest on the line is Missy Jernigan. And Missy is a certified diabetes educator with the Wake Med Diabetes Management Program. And surprise, we're talking all about diabetes. And Mary, there's just so much we have to, to cover here in the next mm -hmm. segment. So let's get right back to it. Yes, I want to shift a little bit and talk about the caregiver perspective of um, helping someone with diabetes, your loved one with diabetes. As a caregiver, Missy, what are ways that you be, you can become more educated to help your loved one? Ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. Mm -hmm. So, of course, when you love someone, it's natural to want to help. So one of the first things you can do is make sure that you understand the medications that they're taking, how to give them, when to give them, and the side effects. 
That's a good, that's a very good tip. I think that for many people who have diabetes, it's, it's hard um, to, you know, it's a very constant thing that you're paying attention to watching, you know, you're very aware of what you're eating, your medication, um, and the management of your disease. How do you avoid as a caregiver being the diabetes police um, and and really driving your loved one crazy trying to also manage it as a caregiver and kind of being on top of it are there tips that you have for caregivers to avoid being this diabe- filling this diabetes police role yes I do have a couple of ideas um, you know we just want to help as the diabetes police people our caregivers um, but it can also cause strife in the relationship um, and that's not always good the one thing I would like to always ask is that we make the individual as um, self-helping as as much as they can be. Um, if there's even one little thing that that person can do for themselves, teach them how to do it so that they're involved in their own care. Um, ask them if they want chicken or beef. Ask them if they'd like uh, green beans or broccoli, um, that kind of thing. So make sure that they... Um, have a role in their own care, um, know how to do as much as they know how, and then try your best not to truly be a police officer, but a guide. That's great advice. And uh, Missy, we love what you do, but uh, as much as we love what you do, I I think we'd all like for our family members not to have to go (laughs) visit you. So what are some tips that you have for uh, those who, uh, you know, could be... uh, high risk for diabetes, what lifestyle changes could we be making to make sure or at least prevent seeing you as much as possible? (laughs) Um, Consistency. Um, Try to always make sure you get enough water in as long as your physician says you're allowed to. Uh, Try to limit your starchy foods. Now, a lot of people think sugar is the only thing that causes high blood sugars, but it's any kind of starchy food, such as bread, potatoes, rice, pasta, and believe it or not, even fruit. So a lot of people think because it's a natural sugar that it doesn't cause your blood sugars to go up. Uh, Make sure that you're eating fresh fresh foods instead of canned, and the second best would be frozen after fresh. Gotcha. That's good advice. And, you know, little changes like that can really go a long way. Mm-hmm. You know, something that I've heard and talking with patients before, or my grandmother even mentioned it, um, it back in the day, but um, shoes are so important for um, those with diabetes. I think that maybe diabetes patients might be more likely to have infections from, um, and feet, I know, Missy, you mentioned it earlier in the show, are something that's um, it's very important to keep an eye on as a caregiver for those with diabetes. Can you talk to us a little bit about the daily grooming, why it's so important for someone with diabetes to, or a caregiver to kind of have a close eye on these things, and um, and diabetic shoes, those are a thing aren't they? They really are. And you don't want to necessarily pick out your own shoes when you have diabetes, especially if you've had diabetes for at least 10 to 15 years, because some of the sensation on your feet do decrease if your blood sugars haven't been really great. Mm. So you want to have somebody size the shoes for you, because if you can't feel a blister that your shoes may be too tight causing it, then you will end up with um, an ulcer or so. You don't want to walk around barefooted, even in your own house. And if a blister or a sore 
develops, please don't do your own surgery. That's very helpful. Yeah, that's good advice. Uh, Missy, you know, we've introduced you as the, a certified diabetes educator with the WakeMed Diabetes Management Program. Can you tell us a little bit about the WakeMed Diabetes Management Program, how that works, and who's uh, eligible to use this service? Absolutely. Um, anybody is eligible. We do have um, inpatient uh, services for the patients that come to WakeMed, um, carry. North and Raleigh campuses. Um, we have outpatient services that are fed through primary care physicians and also the inpatients that come to Wake Med. We have a diabetes support group as well, and this is a virtual thing. You can find it um, on the Wake Med web or Wake Med site um, or call 919 350 2198. It happens on Wednesdays, the first Wednesday of each month, from 6 to 8 p.m. And are these classes virtual, or are they in person, or do you have a hybrid option for folks? We have both right now. We have virtual and we have uh, in person. This is such a great resource. I've learned so much today, and we really appreciate Missy. I've, I'm, I'm literally looking at my water bottle right now. I need to prevent this in the future. I've also um, took the dogs for a walk this morning, so I, I need to get a get a little bit ahead of this. Um, watching my food intake, the Italian food has been uh, heavy lately, um, so I need to just be a little bit careful. I think, especially with. Um, COVID, we've seen, you know, people have gotten a little bit loose on maybe their eating habits. And um, I'm, I'm sure that we all should be a little more uh, aware of what we're doing to prevent uh, type 2 diabetes in the future. Yeah, Missy, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. If you want to learn more about the WakeMed Diabetes Education Team and the, edu- the WakeMed Diabetes Management Program, you can uh, Google that and it comes up pretty quick. WakeMed Diabetes Management Program, that'll be the top result for you there. And the phone number that Missy gave out earlier is 919-350-2199. Nine eight nine one nine three five zero two one nine eight. Missy Jernigan, she's a certified diabetes educator with the Wake Med Diabetes Management Program. Missy, thank you so much for your time and for your expertise today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate your time as well. We are going to take a quick break, but we've got more for you right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Hey, if you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, be sure to go online anytime to transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. There are so many resources available to you online there. There's also uh, calendars of 
things that are going on in the community that uh, may be of benefit to you, transitionslifecare.org to find out more information. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and now we're, we're getting into my wheelhouse here. We're going to be talking about <laughs> food and nutrition for older adults, and we are very pleased to welcome Chef Zach. He is Chef Zach Merritt with Chefs for Seniors. Zach, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Maybe to kick us off, Zach, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what is Chefs for Seniors? Yeah, sure. Um, so um, I've been a professional chef for uh, about 20 years or so. I've done all sorts of things from small fine dining restaurants to, to large-scale catering. Um, and about four years ago, we had my wife and I had the opportunity to purchase a Chefs for Seniors uh, franchise. Um, and at the time, they had just started selling them. Chefs for Seniors started in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And it was a father-son. Um, we were one of the first five franchises um, in. But what it is, is it's a personal chef service um, geared towards seniors. So uh, what we do is we meet with our, our clients. We talk about their dietary needs. Um, and in general, food likes and dislikes. Uh, and then we schedule a service day. And on that service day, we'll do the grocery shopping for the, the menu that they selected. We'll come to their house. We'll bring all of our own pots and pans. Oh, wow. um, and when we leave, they'll have about 12 meals that are all packaged, ready to go. They just need to be reheated. Um, and again, everything's made to their liking. Um, and then we schedule another visit, and we can come back in a week or two weeks. kind of depends on uh, that person's lifestyle and, and how often they're going to be eating the uh, food that we prepare. Oh, that's awesome. I, I, with the timing of this conversation is pretty perfect with the new year and people trying to make healthy goals. Um, you say to my liking when, I, when I'm thinking about planning out my meals and all I'm thinking is uh, ice cream and uh, chocolate, <laughs> a glass of wine. Uh, so, but I, I can imagine sure. for, for the right. older adult, there's some probably critical things to think about when planning meals. Can you talk through uh, what that looks like? What is that process like? And do you, um, do you work with uh, special diets? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So working with like special diets is what really sets um, chefs for senior service separate from like a meal delivery service or something like that, because everything is made customized for the client. So, you know, if you look at our our menu, you'll see a a pork tenderloin with a cranberry sauce, and that comes with rice and green beans. Mm. Well, they love that pork tenderloin with cranberry sauce, um, but they, they can't have rice for... Um, a dietary reason and and they hate green beans so you know maybe we can do that with sweet potatoes and broccoli or something that they're like and then you know we can cook the broccoli softer or or keep it crispier so it can really be personalized um, for that individual client and and then so with dietary needs you know low sodium is huge Um, using things like fresh herbs vinegars um, different citrus different ways to add flavor into food Without adding a lot of salt, so that they'll still still get something delicious, but not not just you know dumping a salt shaker on everything, um, and so that kind of thing. 
that's uh, my cardiologist would appreciate you saying that. I feel like I pour salt on everything, and um, they, you know, I also spend time with my grandfather, and I help take care of him. And I, I look around the dining room sometimes when I'm with him, and there's everyone goes immediately for the salt, and I feel like that's something that we should probably be watching a little bit more of. Yeah, and especially as, as some folks get older, um, they start to kind of lose their their sense of taste. So what, they might not have used that much salt before, but then they're they're not tasting as much, so they're they're adding more salt than, than really needs to be added. So uh, if you can add flavor using spices and, and herbs and other things, you know they'll still get that satisfaction of, of eating something flavorful. It's just not going to be salty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chef Zach. Uh- you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to meals with my grandparents and, you know, it's funny we we're having the salt conversation because that was always one of the topics mm-hmm. that came up is how oh, the, this is too salty. And so, uh, you know, I think when we're trying to maybe get meals ready for them that, you know, we try and navigate to things that are, are maybe a little bit more bland because we don't want to cross that bridge. But how do we avoid kind of falling into the trap of maybe maybe the same kinds of foods over and over again just because we think that's maybe a little bit safer? Um, you can, you know, look at, look at some different recipes to come up with some different ideas. Um, you know, learn study a little bit some of the ingredients and stuff that you're using and see um, like if you're concerned about adding too much of this or that, you know, especially looking at, at your prepared foods and stuff. Um, there's a lot of lot of options out there now for um, healthier stuff. Uh, you just have to kind of know what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you know, when I'm looking for something new or um, to get inspired, like looking at I think a lot of different recipes, um, you, you say bland, like some, some folks, they, they like spice and they want spice. Some people have, have traveled the world and, and sometimes they want to kind of recreate some of those flavors that they've had. Um, so, you know, just talking to, talking to your loved one about, um, other things that they've enjoyed in their life and, and maybe try to bring some of that to it. So we've been talking a lot about meals. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you supplement meals with snacks? It's one of my favorite things. I can snack all day. Um, but do you have a, a part of your business that offers a snack option as well? Yeah, absolutely. There's like a whole um, section of the menu that's uh, kind of lighter fare um, with with some things in there like, um, uh, like a a lemony cauliflower and bean dip or a potato knish um, and roasted eggplant dip, uh, things like that that you can have around the house and might be able to eat it with some vegetables or some uh, some healthier chip options. Um, but, you know, that that's important because when we, when we go for, when we are creating it yourself, you're controlling the ingredients that are in there. Um, it might, if you, when you buy it, you don't know what they're putting in there to add shelf life or flavor enhancers. Or, or any of that stuff that might not be so desirable. Um, so, but when you're reaching in the pantry, you know, you're usually reaching for processed stuff. But if you have something on hand that's homemade, it can be a much healthier option. 
That's a great point. And something that I, I, I'm thinking about through our conversation is the difference between your service and offering these healthy prepared meals versus grabbing a freezer meal, which might be super easy for many, especially for a caregiver that's taking care of someone maybe at a distance to, you know, order groceries or grab groceries and stuff the freezer full of something that might have the word healthy on the label or low calorie on the label or low sodium on the label that you stick in the microwave. But you are also consuming a lot of preservatives when you do that and and things that you just don't know that are in your food. Uh, So I think there's a healthy way here and, and you're able to provide these meals that are also freezer safe, correct? Yeah, most of the things um, can be freezer safe. I mean, I wouldn't recommend freezing chicken salad or something, but <laughs> most of the meals um, are freezer safe, and, and most of our clients do freeze mm-hmm. at least a portion of their meals um, and you know, and then eat them the next week or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it, it's designed to, to still have that easy factor where they don't have to do anything but microwave it. Um, but, yeah, you know everything that's actually in it, too. All right, Chef Zach, for those who were listening earlier and said, you know, man, I really want uh, what's on the menu today. I want that pork tenderloin with the the rice and the green beans. How, how do people get a hold of you, Chef Zach? Sure. So uh, my phone number, uh, 984-960-9563. Um, and you can also fill out uh, information on our website. And there's a lot more um, information there at chefsforseniors.com. Um, there's a, a menu there. Um, and all sorts of other information. But again, phone number 984-960-9563. Wonderful. Chefsforseniors.com or 984-960-9563 to get a hold of Chef Zach. He is Zach Merritt with Chefs for Seniors. Chef Zach, Mary and I would uh, would <laughs> love it if if you ever come up with chefs for you know distressed millennials, or we'll be, we'll be first in line to sign up. Okay, just let us know. Well, yeah, no, we we I, we can help anybody. Just give me a call. Okay, all right, Wonderful. That's, that's good to know. That's good to know. Right. We'll we'll, we, we we'll check that out. Yeah, very good. Right. Thank you so much for your time again, Chef Zach Merritt with Chefs for Seniors. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be right back. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Hey, if you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, be sure to go online to transitionslifecare.org. Plenty of resources and information available for you there. Also, career opportunities. If you're looking for a change there, head on over to transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. And Mary, we are shifting gears here, and we're going to be talking about anticipatory grief. And I'm really very much looking forward to this conversation. And we, uh, we've we brought on one of our own. We're mm-hmm. going to be speaking with E. Below. E. Below is a Grief Outreach Coordinator at Transitions Life Care. E, thank you so much for coming on the show. 
Certainly. Thanks for having me. This is a very um, touching topic for me, something that I talk about with my therapist. I'm very excited to talk to you, E, about this. Um, I talk about my dogs a lot on the show, and I know that that's very different um, than people, but still there is anticipatory grief that I I have experienced in thinking about one of my dogs who's on hospice. And it's it's real, you know, thinking about anticipatory grief. And um, so E, maybe start us off. How does this differ to grief after death? Yeah, that's a really great question, Mary. And as you may have intuited uh, by the the name anticipatory grief, um, this type of grief, you know, typically occurs after. Uh, before a death-related loss. Um, So typically it it refers to what someone might feel in the days or or months or even years before the death of a loved one. Um, It's that experience of knowing that a change or a loss is inevitable um, and experiencing grief in the face of that. So where grief related to a death, you know, typically only impacts the people who are are left in their absence. Um, Anticipatory grief can actually impact not just their loved ones, but also the person um, who's been diagnosed with a life-limiting illness. Um, you know, oftentimes we, we make this mistake of thinking of grief as just that physical loss of a person. Mm-hmm. Um, but like grief that occurs after a death, you know, anticipatory grief can also um, often include grief around all of those layers of loss um, as an illness progresses. You know, things like loss of companionship as your person's abilities change or in your, your case, your pups change. Um, you know, the change in your role with your loved one, you know, loss of financial security and, and even of the future. Um, you know, of course, we expect to experience grief after a death. Um, but, you know, few of us really understand that grief can show up before a life ends. Um, and I, I'd really say that the biggest difference between anticipatory grief and, and grief related to a death or what you might call conventional loss um, is that conventional grief is similar to, to grieving backwards. You know, that is, we, we mourn a loss that's already happened, whereas with anticipatory grief, it, it's really more forward-focused. Um, we're grieving everything that we expect to lose, not just that physical loss of the person, but, but all of those layers. Mm. As if being caregiver isn't enough already, you know, or you're already dealing with taking care of somebody and, um, and and kind of getting everything in place and really working through what's to come and then add this on top of it. It's just one more layer that that is very difficult for someone in this situation, I can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you know if you're feeling anticipatory grief? What are some signs and symptoms to look out for? Um, I, I can think about it in my own case, like stress, for example, I, I can imagine is something that, you know, it kind of multiplies when you're anticipating grief. Um, I feel my stress levels rising. But how do you know what you're feeling is anticipatory grief? Yeah, and Mary, you, you hit the nail on the head with, with stress, especially when you couple that with caregiving responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you experience can can be really similar to what you might expect to experience um, after a, a death-related loss. So, of course, you know, feelings of, of sadness or tearfulness, um, maybe some denial or fear, um, maybe even guilt. Um, you might find yourself rehearsing the death, um, you know, what it might be like to, to think about the future with, without that person there. Um, or if you're the person who's dying, you know, maybe thinking about what that death experience might feel like for you. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, we, we do have, you know, increased levels of stress. Um, like you mentioned, uh, you know, we might experience more anger, anxiety. anxiety. Um, a lot of us experience changes in sleep. Maybe you're sleeping too much or too little. 
Um, and oftentimes that, that is because we are in this kind of in-between place between, you know, maintaining this, this needed sense of hope, um, but also starting to prepare for the death of our person and, and letting go, so to speak. Um, and that can be a really painful and, and confusing space to live in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. So moving forward, what are ways that you can cope with anticipatory grief? Are there things that you can do or, or, or ways that you can start to cope with that now to help? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you hit on a, a good point of, you know, what can I do now versus what, what I might have to, to deal with in the future um, and I think one important thing to remember for yourself or, or even if you're supporting someone who's grieving is just remembering that just because you're grieving before somebody dies, it doesn't mean that you won't grieve after they die. Um, you know, anticipatory grief, it, it doesn't necessarily make the grief process easier. Um, and it isn't a substitute necessarily for grieving later. You know, I, I think sometimes we think that there can't possibly be anything more to, to feel or, or give after a loved one has died. And you know, we can be really hard on ourselves and in turn afterward. Like, you know, haven't I already done this before or, or shouldn't I be over this by now? Um, but it's really important to recognize that that's a really common response. Um, and there is no timeline on grief. There's no fixed volume of grief. You can't, you know, save it up now or, or carry it forward later. Um, and knowing that even if your loved one has been sick or, or has been declining for several several years, um, you know, nothing can really fully prepare us for, for the actual death and how we'll respond. Um, you know, I, I do want to mention in, in that same vein, though, anticipatory grief, it, it does have some benefits that can provide us with opportunities for closure that, you know, people whose loved one died perhaps suddenly or, or unexpectedly might not experience. And sometimes, you know, it can also provide us with space to have those hard conversations or mm-hmm. share memories or, or seek closure. Um, I think ultimately, you know, the most important takeaway is, is to recognize that, like with conventional grief, we all grieve in our own timeline and, and in our own way. Um, so it's important to try to maintain a sense of grace and, and patience with yourself, um, to give yourself that permission to experience that, you know, wide-ranging um, experience of emotions with, without judgment. Um, you know, grieving your person before they die, it, it doesn't mean that you're giving up hope or abandoning them. Um, I think that's one thing that a lot of us worry about, um, but knowing that it is possible to to grieve the for the future without relinquishing the present necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And if folks want to find more information, e, what's the best way for folks to do that? Yeah, you you can certainly go to transitionslifecare.org uh, to learn more about grief. Um, our our services are primarily focused on death related losses. Um, you know, there, there are some really great resources out there. Um, there's a great website called What's Your Grief that's really chock full of resources and helpful articles on grief and, and anticipatory grief. Um, and ultimately, you know, some of the best resources are around us, um, you know, leaning on your support, anticipatory grief and, and caregiving in, in the midst of all of that can be a really heavy load. Um, so maybe doing an assessment of those supports. Um, who you can go to, to to help with the laundry or who you can go to to, to just be distracted if you need to. Um, someone once told me, you don't go to Home Depot to buy bread. So, you know, knowing who you can call on for, for those different needs as you're grieving can be really helpful. Um, if you're working with a care team or have access to a nurse or a social worker or a spiritual care member, um, use them. You know, they can really help you approach and, and navigate some of those hard conversations with 
a lot of grace and, and dignity. Um, some folks, you know, might find comfort or insight in caregiver groups. Um, I think one of the, the silver linings that I've found in this pandemic is that, you know, we aren't confined to geography. We can access support from miles away, um, including counseling, you know, considering counseling, it, it doesn't have to be forever. It can be just to get you over a particularly heavy period and, and give you a container for some of that heaviness and, and maybe feel a little less isolated in your grief. Yeah, that's wonderful insight. And those websites again, transitionslifecare.org and what's your grief.com. What's your grief.com. We've been speaking with E Bello. E is a grief outreach coordinator at Transitions Life Care. E, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jason and Mary. Uh, the pr- pleasure's all on this end of the microphone, and we're just about out of time for today. I want to remind you, if you want to find more information about Transitions Life Care, head on over to transitionslifecare.org. If you want to catch up on past episodes of Aging Matters, head over to WPTF.com. Click on the podcast button, and there you'll find a, a wonderful picture of Mary and the Aging Matters logo. And there you can view the full archive of shows that we have avail- available for you to listen and download there, WPTF.com. Out of time for today, but we hope you'll join us again next weekend. Thank you so much for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a wonderful weekend. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.